We just heard from a retired federal sales executive. He made the case for a generalized return to the office. For a different point of view, the need for better collaboration tools for a largely remote or teleworking workforce, we turn to a former federal manager who now specializes professionally in workplace issues, Mika Cross. Mika, good to have you back. Great to be on the show, Tom. Thank you for having me. And again, I saw you on my LinkedIn reaction to a column I posted, and you said the answer to getting things back to normal is not everybody driving back to the offices and occupying buildings, but improving the way we do interact. Did I characterize it correctly and tell us some more of your ideas? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is the age all great debate, right? And it comes down to, I think, the bottom line of how we are going to spend the most precious resource that we have that you can't assign a value to necessarily, and that is time. And where we're going to spend our time in terms of location when we are working on the clock. And for those who serve the American people, it really comes down to a different way of calibrating how we manage performance, how we're investing in the right skills and competencies to be able to recognize and avoid bias when you're talking about remote and hybrid work, but also all forms of flexibility, especially extending different kinds of flexibility for those who have to be on site I cannot participate in a different location when they're performing their work duties. Yes, and that gets to the idea of people just simply talking with one another. And the thing about the office is that it's easy to do that. And there's lots of formal, informal, and somewhere in between communication that, in my experience, does build cohesion among individuals. And it doesn't work as well in the online platforms as they are currently constituted. So how can that be improved? Well, I think the federal government can take a page from those remote first, remote friendly employers in the private sector that we've often want looked to benchmark from who are doing it incredibly well. And what does that mean in terms of diversifying talent, enhancing customer service delivery? Are they outperforming their competitors? Are they able to complete the mission regardless of location? You know, I had the benefit of when I left federal government in 2018, working for the fully remote company FlexJobs. I was a vice president there of employer engagement, working with employers of all sizes, types, industries, from public sector to nonprofit, academia, Fortune 500, you name it. And these were all organizations who got it right in terms of extending all kinds of flexibility, including remote option jobs for the purpose of finding and attracting top talent. What I love to see now is that some agencies are really holding on to the lessons they learned during the pandemic and keeping an increased flexible posture. Again, I'm speaking about all kinds of strategic flexibility, not just flexibility in location. And that can also impact office space, which was the point of your LinkedIn post, as employees are using alternate work schedules, compressed work schedules. Think about reemployed annuitants when you're bringing back that institutional and tacit knowledge for purposes of delivering the mission, part-time, seasonal, intermittent temp, and flexible work schedules, including telework and remote. This is the way that you're going to be able to embrace the best talent from all five generations. Interesting. And what about that idea of people just that are new to an organization? And there is, again, my opinion, but no better way to really get that unit cohesion and the transfer of knowledge and the mentorship and all that if they're not in person some of the time. It sounds like you're saying we can do both, sometimes in yeah. person, sometimes not. Absolutely, Tom. And, you know, your preference and your experience is not in the minority, <laughs> clearly. I'm also um, as old as water. So. <laughs> 
But, you know, many of those in leadership positions, if you look at the composition of the federal government workforce in terms of generational differences, I mean, the majority are, you know, Gen X and above. In fact, the majority of mission critical occupations in IT, cybersecurity, HR, acquisition, finance, you name it, are usually above the age of 50. And it's dwindling when you're looking at Gen Z in terms of those mission critical occupations. So when you're thinking about how are you going to integrate, welcome, onboard, create that culture, it takes new skills. Wouldn't it take new skills and competencies for you to recognize your own personal preference and bias and how that might impact, even if you have the policies to allow telework and more flexible remote and hybrid options, my ability to say, hmm, if these leaders are all required to be on site, maybe the only way for me to get promoted and advance my career is to actually have to come in. And who does that affect in a negative way? Often it's those with disabilities, medical conditions, caregivers, military spouses, parents, you name it, and the working women who, you know, to the tune of millions had to leave the workforce during the pandemic because of childcare and parental issues. We're speaking with Mika Cross. She's a former Army officer, now a specialist in workplace issues. And what are some of the best practices then that you have seen in the private sector? I mean, government has also been pursuing telework and some of these other issues for a long time, but they often are maybe a step behind what's happening in the best of the private sector. Yeah, private industry takes time to invest in cultivating the right skills. So what do I mean by that? I mean, even in terms of having a good, solid foundation for effective hybrid meetings and leveraging the technology that we already have instead of having to figure out a new solution. How are we going to create leaders and managers of people who are able to establish those relationships and connections, lead teams, coach for results, manage performance, and demonstrate you know, the mission of the agency in terms of customer experience and mission delivery? Well, that really requires new skill sets. Many of us have not put in the work or the time needed to do that. So the easy button is to say remote and hybrid isn't working. We need everybody back in the office where I can see it because if we're co-located all in one physical location, then we can do what we should have already learned how to do regardless of location. And Tom, that's going to pay dividends for federal agencies. In fact, I'm seeing great investments from organizations like the National Science Foundation, Office of Inspector General, who decided to transition many of their positions, who wanted to, to fully remote positions and give office space back. They are creating and designing spaces and time to come together purposefully and intentfully to do so, leadership offsites, creating, you know, those kinds of training opportunities. ICE, Civil Rights Office, has given back office space and decided to go 100% remote. I mean, think about the impact of their mission and how they're protecting our nation and mitigating those kinds of complaints. I'm seeing USDA in pockets, my old stomping ground, you know, really lean into remote work, especially for those statistical agencies who are able to do so and then regionally come together and figure out how do we collectively build this skill to be able to engage and unite our workforce regardless of location. It seems like perhaps the government might be debating with itself prematurely in the sense that I haven't seen, and I think OPM and some of the other agencies would also agree that they haven't really fleshed out what they want for an office physical space plan, that you can, one, get the space that's correct for the number of people that will be there, and also that's correct for if it's a shared space and doing away with individual cubicles and all of this mm -hmm. sort of thing. There hasn't really been the completion of that thought. Not fair to say they haven't thought about it, but they're not yet having a plan. 
I think not a plan that's been fully communicated yet. You know, I really love what the GSA is doing, Tracy Martini's shop, and also their workforce of the future. I mean, they're designing like an office in a box capability where agencies can go in and allow their employees to choose the configuration that they need based on their flexible work schedule, their remote or telework work schedule, and the office design of their home space in order to be more productive too. I mean, there have been a lot of wellness issues for folks that were mandated to go and work from home and not have the right sufficient, you know, infrastructure to be able to have like an ergonomically correct office space. I think if you look at the data, not just on emotional well-being and professional isolation and burnout from doing the work and having, you know, Zoom fatigue and meeting to meeting, but also design of your office space at home has had a significant impact if you talk to physical therapists and chiropractors in the region too. Sure. So it really gets down to detail Details like chairs and lighting and microphones as much as it does to policy on what's the best way to make sure that everyone is most productive within their capabilities and limitations that they might have. Yeah, absolutely. And from a practical perspective, Tom, it comes down to, you know, some of the agencies that I cited, you know, I've been able to give advice and guidance to to many leaders and and federal agencies. It comes down to thinking about, do you have even a team charter? Have we agreed upon how we want to work together when we're in the office and when we're not? So that those who are working offsite won't feel disadvantaged, unseen, and not connected to their peers when they choose to do so. That can cause unintentional equity issues. It can create additional bias and it can cause a negative impact, quite frankly, if you don't address it and help all teams at all levels with the right skills to be able to to do this well. So the worst thing is just to bump along with this uncertainty. Yeah, is to not be deliberate and thoughtful about what you are trying to do. I've seen some organizations develop workplace standards documents and then train leaders, managers, and the workforce around what that looks like. Then at a lower level, at a team level, I mean, you wouldn't throw your all-star players into a playoff game without a playbook, right? You would have a clear understanding around what all the players are expected to do in that game so you can win. It's time to win. <laughs> Mika Cross is a former Army officer and intelligence community manager. She now specializes in workplace issues. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Tom. And we'll post both interviews at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive wherever you happen to be working, even at the beach. Subscribe to the podcast edition wherever you get your shows. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. 
And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in direct care. And, and I will say, you know, and I obviously will say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints, uh, but uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see you know, throw send in my information, and lo and behold, I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has a, has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when he'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is, you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the stage or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands a bit. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from from their last competition, and they're so committed, and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs and 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 I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a the athletes of Special Olympics that. Uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so. Uh, joyful and and uh, I mean we work hard and you know we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day but uh man you see it, it and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics no one's excluded you know no, right. no one's excluded everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics it, and you know in a country that's quite divided on so many lines politically and uh, socially uh, economically race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot, but you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved, everyone's welcome, everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experienced the power of Special Olympics for themselves, 
I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.